Hey everybody, it's Moscow here, and before we get started with today's show, I just wanted to remind you all that a great way to support the Brewing Network is by shopping on Amazon. Just go to thebrewingnetwork.com and click on the Amazon link and then do all your shopping as normal. You won't even know we're there, but Amazon gives us a little cut of everything you buy, and it goes a long way to helping keep the lights on around here. So many of you are already doing it, and for that we offer our sincere thanks. Keep it up, and if you're not doing it, a pox on you and everyone in your family. Thanks in advance. Enjoy the show. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. how you do it right up until the last second with the technical issue live radio still can't hear myself though really at all uh, uh, from my voice it's okay all right jay's removing the headset in the uh in the jp seat that he normally occupies and uh switching over to one of the other headsets because we had a, a momentous uh, occasion in the uh, studio last night someone other than justin Spilled beer on the uh, no, because you can move back to the seat, right? Just use the headset, but go back to your original seat. Yeah, I'm not moving the the, the camera. He's fine. Uh, Taylor, oh no, what do they call you? Porn star Steve. Porno Steve. Steve. Porno Steve uh, spilled beer yeah, all over the star. console, and uh, we heard the crackling in the headset. That one's bad too. It's just off completely. Jeez. <laughs> Rock and roll with this. All right. All right. What I'm what I'm worried about though is you being able to hear our guest. Uh, no, I could hear him before. I just can't hear myself. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, anyway, is that working out? I was really glad it wasn't me that uh, spilled beer on the console. Oh no, this is awesome. still struggling. And now that now the the uh, ear okay, thing, the, okay. the padding on the ear thing fell off. There's in the thing behind you, Taylor. There's more. There's more headsets. Let's fi- we'll do we'll fix in the break. Okay, we can get through a segment like this. All right, it's that time. Yeah. Three, two, one. Should we just start over? Yeah, let's do it. The sour. No, forget it. We've already done that <laughs> joke on this show. <laughs> We're not allowed to repeat jokes. I got to go then. That's I true. Mean, that's, Actually, radio, that's all radio is that's for my, podcasting. That's my whole thing. It's uh, it's the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay Goodwin. Thanks for uh, joining us to all your live listeners uh, and to all your you podcast listeners. Uh, yeah. Welcome. This is you're listening to us in the future, which is pretty cool if you think about it. I think podcasting. I used to be all. I would just call it radio, 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 radio. But I think podcasting has now achieved um, a level of success. Well, I think it is is now eclipsed radio, kind of leapfrogged it. As far the only dynamic audio content happening now is happening in the podcast world. Radio is there's nothing going on there. Is there is there a direct comparison from like, you know, watching live TV and then, you know, DVR came in to, you know, 
podcast is basically radio on demand, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. So I think, yeah, it's it's a good it's a good thing. I'm glad and we're a part of it. I am too. And we're not going to be able. We're basically not letting you fast forward through commercials like you do on your TiVo mm-hmm. because you, we're just saying the commercials during the show. Yeah, because otherwise you assholes would just blow right through it. Absolutely. Like uh, you know, you, you wouldn't hear stuff like our about our great sponsor, the Wine and Hop Shop. How would you know at about WineandHop.com? And how would you know that you can get uh, Giga Yeast and Omega Yeast there now? And you know what else you can get? Uh, f- flat eight dollar shipping, shipping rate on, on orders under. The, uh, you're on B. fifty pounds. Go. I just wanted to compliment you guys. That was a really good transition. Oh wow! wow. A compliment at the top. Of yeah. The well, Jamil and Palmer's are terrible. So. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? A coffee? Taking some codeine? You seem happy. No. Oh. You got to okay. take her down a notch. Yeah. By the way, oh, B- oh, I know what to say. Bevo, you know, I was listening to uh, the session, and you guys were talking about how gluten, uh, glu- you're talking about, like, gr- gluten-free beer and gluten intolerance and stuff like that, and Justin was saying, you know, gluten intolerance is not a thing. This is just from t- the session two days ago. Yeah. By the way, listen to other, the other BN shows like the session mm. from two days ago. How's that transition? Bam. Why? Count it. <laughs> anyway, Bevo's, like, uh, offhand... Uh, Justin's like, you know, uh, I'm not talking about people who uh, have celiac disease or anything like right. that. Just people who are gluten intolerant. Mm-hmm. And then Bevo chimes in. And it's like only like one percent of people have celiac, like dismissing it like one percent of the population is. I think it's quite a bit less than that. Yes, that was one thing. And then if anyone has one, if one percent of people have something, that's a lot. It's of people. a lot. Yeah, that's three million people in oh. the U.S. only. Right, right. No one else can afford to have celiac. You think people in West Africa have celiac disease? It just doesn't disease? exist there. No. Yeah. No. Any response from Bevo? No, none. Okay. okay. Let's move on. Great. Uh, you can chime in just like Bevo did. Uh, contact us, 888-401-BEER. You can Preferably make your chime in a little more dynamic than she did, though. That was dynamite, not radio, podcasting, pod waving. It's a good pod. Mm-hmm. Great pod. Uh, contact stop. Scott. Stop. <laughs> Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Scott with one T at the Brewing Network dot com. Don't say it now because people just people will do it. Oh, is that a thing? Yeah. Scott double yeah. T at the Brewing Network. If you want to talk to me, Jay at the Brewing Network. You know what's funny too is uh, the the back end of the Brewing Network website where we go and we edit and post new shows and stuff. We all have our assigned logins. Bevo has hers. Justin has his. Mine is Scott with one T. Justin <laughs> Justin did all the setting up, so he set that profile up. And when I, I at first I thought he did it on purpose, like yeah, this is real funny and haha. But we weren't able to change it, which seems ridiculous. Like what do you mean you can't change it? You just go in and change it. Every time you go through the motion of changing it, it just it doesn't take. So I'm still back there as Scott with one T. Nobody can figure out how to change it to do and he insists he didn't do it on purpose which is i was like dude you you should just say you did because now you're just now you're just retarded well it's all it's all content you know that's <laughs> what you, i guess every so. every conflict you can just when you're in the biz right as we are mm-hmm. any conflict just becomes content you I, know? which is why i think he did it on purpose but he that he really dug his heels in no no i didn't mean to genius uh also subscribe on itunes which speaking of itunes and and justin uh, the the last shows, if you're listening live, are posted, right, Scott, on the yeah. Network dot com. Yeah, we have the Lost Abbey. Uh, we did the show with the Lost Tommy Abbey. Arthur was Tommy. on the last show. Or yeah. I guess two shows ago, technically. Right, but. exactly. Yep, and then we did a and a and yeah, those shows are up. Uh, they're just not in uh, your iTunes feed yet, so if you do mm-hmm. the podcast app on your phone like I do, and I, like I suspect the majority of people do, uh, it, hasn't, it hasn't come into that feed yet. Here's some late-breaking news. I'm interrupting myself to let you know that they are now available. 
Uh, yeah. So uh, what's going on? We have some stuff coming up at Rare Barrel. Uh, we mentioned on the last shows, uh, if you guys were able to listen live, San Francisco Beer Week is coming up. We're pretty excited about that. We have a bunch of events uh, posted. If you follow us on Facebook or Instagram or any of those things, uh, you can click on the link, and it shows you the all the events we're going to. We're pretty pretty excited about some of the ones we're doing. I know one of the big ones for us is on... Uh, Let's see. It's the first the first Saturday we're doing our Saturday the twenty third uh, two p.m. Yeah, you know where I'll be reunion event. Damn straight. Which is with us and uh, my old friends from the brewery. Oh, I think. I'm inviting myself. By the way, yes, I just want to make that clear. Jay and I did not invited. discuss this. <laughs> Live radio potting. <laughs> Patrick from the brewery is going to be there. Uh, I think Doug from Society. Uh, we all work together at the same time at the brewery. It's just kind of fun to get back with old friends and. Uh, it was fun times when I was at the brewery uh, working for Patrick and working alongside uh, Doug and Travis from Society, and they're all making really good beers, so it just makes sense to kind of get together once a year for our uh, reunion party, drink some beers, and share that with all the people who, who are going to come out. So we're excited about that. A bunch of other really good events. Uh, New Belgium's coming into town. Lauren's going to be around. Uh, so you guys who have heard her on multiple episodes of the Sour Hour, you can uh, come by for that if you're in town for SF Beer Week. And we hope to see you there. Speaking of Lauren, did you ever write anything else on, on PH1, the barrel, uh, per my uh, recommendation? We haven't written anything on it yet. We have put beer in it, and yeah. the beer coming out is tasting really good. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, super how, where, where's that, that at, like three months, four months now? Mm, good question. Two two plus months, something like that. So it's it's already kicking. Yeah, that's a strong culture that's in that barrel and a lot of history in that barrel. And we're just hoping to be a part of it and not screw it up. Oh, yeah. So that'll be exciting. Um, and if, then if you do, by the way, you, you're like, wow, I'm not nearly the brewer I thought it was. If I can screw up the stuff coming out of PH1, I must really suck. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, that'll, uh, <laughs> well, that makes me want to maybe, can I get in on that? Because I'll get to claim that I brewed a good sour beer because I'll just use whatever comes out of that thing, and it's it's gold. Sure. Yeah. yeah okay, why not? sweet. Okay. Yeah. You're going to make a, you're planning on homebrewing a sour beer sometime No, soon? I just mean I'll show up for when you uh, pull and blend whatever's coming out of there, and I'll just like, I'll, I'll like stir. After I'll the beer's already once. good. Yeah, you stir when you blend? Yeah. You have not been listening on the show, have you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can come for the stirring. I promise okay, you when, if and when we stir, I'm there. you're there. Awesome. All right. Other things Rare Barrel related going on, uh, we have uh, Extreme Beer Fest out in Boston. We're sending some people out there for that. It's a great festival last year. It's awesome to be out on the East Coast, too, to try out a bunch of breweries that we usually don't get on the West Coast. Really exciting stuff happening, especially in the in the Northeast region. You know, I think... It's just starting to get out to the West Coast. Maybe I'm behind the times and it's been out here for a while, but this whole, like, Upper East Coast IPA, like, Northeast IPA, like, Vermont and the areas around there, they're making some really interesting, kind of, like, cloudier. That may not be the best descriptor or the, you know, the best way to say it, but it's just really interesting types of IPA with unique yeast strains and just kind of a lot of haze in them, and it it's really taken off, and that's, like... You know, we talk about sour beer, obviously, on the, a lot on the show, but that whole, like, Vermont Northeast IPA is a whole different thing that's going on now. And now I'm seeing local breweries who specialize in IPA, and, I mean, we're on the West Coast. This is West Coast IPA brewers we're talking about, and they're making Northeast IPA. Mm. It's just such a cool trend that, you know, I don't think anyone has trademark on making IPAs, so, you know, why not in East Coast, you know, 
a comeback of the East Coast IPA just in a different form. Is Hetty Topper the tip of that spear? Hetty Topper is doing a right, lot of like that. No, no filter and drink it out of the can so that you don't have to see how cloudy this actually is. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of great breweries around that area. Treehouse, uh, Night Shift, Trillium, Hill Farmstead, obviously. Um, a lot of great stuff coming out of the Northeast, and I, I just like I like when kind of regional biases get bucked. You know, it's like why 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 does it why do I uh, why do IPAs have to be on the West Coast? There's no reason. Everyone can get access to the same hops. Yeah. Just because we smoke more weed out here, you know, I don't know. <laughs> That's let let everyone make great, dang, crazy IPAs. End of rant. <laughs> Step down from soapbox. So that's the rare barrel stuff going on. Um, sour hour recap stuff I want to take care of. I actually thought we were running a little bit longer because of all those technical delays up front, but we're doing good. Yep. Cruising right through. Um, recent shows, we had uh, Tommy from the Lost Abbey, as we mentioned already. That was pretty incredible to have him on and kind of talk about 10, 15 years of sour beer making. There's not yeah. a lot of people you know, in the United States who can talk about sour beer with that much experience. We've been lucky enough to get a lot of those people on the show, but it was just really special having Tommy on and talking about, you know, the evolution of the Lost Abbey's sour program over the years and then what they're doing today and what they're looking forward to innovating on. It's pretty, pretty special stuff there. So I highly recommend that show. And uh, we got a and a in right after that. And that was kind of a a little bit of a whirlwind. We had Tommy just squeezed all of that into the first show and then just went to Q&A right after that. But really good stuff. I recommend you check those out. They're up on thebrewingnetwork.com and soon to be on iTunes once you guys email Justin, inundate his inbox. Remember, it's two T's. <laughs> Justin with two T's. Yeah, so that was awesome. Recommend you guys check that out. And then something else uh, that actually came up Sour Hour related is uh, Scott and I got an email from yeah. a very loyal listener. Scott knows where I'm going with this. Uh, his name is Tristan McCoy. And thank you, Tristan, for backing me up. We had a discussion about how when Jamil was on here with uh, with Lauren Salazar on some of the recent episodes, we got into some jokes where he was talking about farts and how it related to his like house character. And I could have sworn he said at some point that his house character smelled like farts. Right. And I, you know, pestered Scott to get that drop. And he says he went back and listened through and, mm-hmm. you know, didn't exist. Right. But, you know, who really went back and listened through is Tristan. Mm-hmm. And this is what came out. Airplane mode all <laughs> <on>. <laughs> Wow. You're, you're a pro. You put your Bam phone Bam. in airplane I th- mode? I thought it already. Yeah. That's so I good. thought this already downloaded, but I got to go back. All right. Here we go. I like that. I think that that's the cool thing that you know when you're tasting a rare barrel or a, a Russian River. Our house character is, is very much like my farts. I'm told. <laughs> okay, yeah. I just uh, see that's the thing about going back yeah. and listening for for audio is if you you tune uh, for half a wait, second. Scott, just one second. Can I just soak this in for a minute? Just uh, yeah. Okay, I'm just, I'll just cut your mic off a second. Okay. <laughs> So that feels uh, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I'll pull that so I can use it properly on the show. Episode nineteen twenty one eleven. There yeah, I, I like too how he <laughs> cut Lauren off too to 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 get that in there. I'm getting my fart joke in here right now, <laughs> whether Lauren's speaking or not. <laughs> Classic Jamil. But no, we spoke Jamil. We were having a good time on that show. If you guys didn't check out that one, recommend that one too. We were uh, having some of Jamil's great sour beers that he brought in, talking to Lauren about our collaboration with New Belgium. So check that one out as well. Um, I think that's all I got for the top. Should we should we get a question in? Question or two? Uh, sure. Let's see. 
you've been uh, kind of uh, vetting these, which is cool. So let's see. How about one about spelt? Let's talk about spelt. Here's one from Justin, oddly with one T. Uh, mm. Justin says, uh, thanks for everything you share. I see spelt included in many wild or sour uh, recipes. Very rarely see it included in standard beer recipes. Uh, why do you think it is included so often, or, or what does it provide in sour or wild beers? That's a great question. I, I think it should be included in regular beers more. To me, and we talked about this on the show before, spelt to me is more like a, it's like a, it's like wheat, and it may even be a type of wheat, I think, but it's like a less wheaty wheat. So wheat to me in, in high percentages, and I, I haven't talked to very many other people who feel the same way, but maybe some people do. Um, it is wheat. It is wheat, mm-hmm. spelt? Okay. Also known as dinkle wheat or hold wheat is a species of wheat cultivated since 5000 BCE. Yeah, if the, other, if the other options were dinkle wheat, I would go with the name spelt also. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wouldn't say, you know, our, oh, our gold recipe is, you know, 10% dinkle. <laughs> that, yeah, that, there's something wrong about that. But, yeah, I think, I think uh, it's similar to wheat but less intense, and it's going to give you a lot of the same properties. It's going to build in a lot of body in a sour beer that's going to age for a long time and get chewed up by Britannomyces. So you want to build in uh, mouthfeel, especially if you're not using Saccharomyces in your uh, sour beers. But, yeah, for regular beers, I mean, uh, I've seen some people do spelt saison. Uh, I think that's a good good place to use it. You could do spelt berliner, spelteweizen, or no, I guess hefe is not, hefe is the, the yeast part, so it would be Dinkelweizen. hefe dinkel or something like that, <laughs> you know? I'm giving away these ideas for free, everyone, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, so what what beer would you not want mouthfeel in? Um, I mean... It's like, well, if it adds mouthfeel, don't you want that in everything you make? You, you want some drier beer, so I don't think Pilsner has a lot of adjuncts in it, IPA. Um, you're testing my knowledge because <laughs> I haven't made a lot of beers that are probably more typical to have less, you know, wheat, oats, spelt, this kind of stuff. Um what else could be that? Probably some of your hmm, no, those would those would go well. Yeah, just dry, crisp beers okay. that you know, American light lager. Okay, stuff like that. Stuff you want to be a little more crisp, but you know, also you got to be careful uh, to balance that with other flavors in the beer, or you can adjust it with mash temp, higher mash temp. Um, but a lot of times in sour beer. You know, Brett don't care what you do. Right. It's just going to chew through what you're trying to build. Um, so you want to build in something there that's going to give you the, the mouthfeel of a, of a typical beer. So I, I would say, yeah, spell can go great in a lot of beers. So speaking of the mash, he, he does have one last part of his question. When yeah. he, he says, does it require any special treatment in the mash uh, other than a normal sack rest? Well, we have spelt malt, so it's, it you know, it, it gets uh, cracked just, just the same way, but... You'd, you'd want to pay attention to the size of, I guess, they're, are, are they kernels technically? This, the size of the, the, the individual pieces of spelt. Let's see. And when you grind, so you have, you know, barley, that's a certain size. Wheat's a certain size. Spelt's going to be a certain size. You want to be able to adjust. Uh, yeah, the, they, they look like little kernels. Yeah. So you want to be able to adjust the way you grind the malt uh, before you mash. So. Not necessarily so much adjustments on the mash, but maybe more on uh, the grinding of the grain beforehand. So that's a good question, though. Yeah, cool. Thanks for writing in, Justin. All right. One more or a break? Uh, let's take a break. we got some questions for uh, James. Oh, awesome. Oh, we did, did we say who's on the show? I don't know. Did we? I thought I, did, I thought I mentioned it at the top. Maybe not. 
Who's on the show today, Jay? Well, Scott. Scott. (laughs) I'm glad you asked. (laughs) It's James Howitt. I said that right, right? Yes. He's the chief beer officer at former Future Brewing Company and new and exciting Black Project Spontaneous and Wild Ales. They're kind of spin-off side project which is their uh, sour beer program at former future over in uh, denver and he's uh, the blender at black project and they've been doing great stuff and we've got some of their beers here tonight they won some awards and uh he's gonna be joining us from china actually not where his brewery is but he is there no denver i don't think he's in china last check no nope. but i'm not good at geography me neither we'll check with james about that whole location issue let's take a let's take a break first yes let's. listening to the sour hour on the brewing network Three-time Ninkasi Award winner and Grandmaster Judge Gordon Strong invites you on a guided journey of what's new in the world of homebrewing. Modern homebrew recipes, exploring styles, and contemporary techniques available now from Brewers Publications. Gordon brings you specific advice and sensory profiles for as-brewed, award-winning beers with delicious variations to get your creative juices flowing. This is more than just a book of recipes. It sets brewers on the path to discovering what's new in the world of homebrewing. AHA director Gary Glass says if you want to enter competitions or just learn more about styles that you might not have experience with, this book is going to help you tremendously. By emulating what Gordon does, you're going to make better beer. Modern homebrew recipes, exploring styles and contemporary techniques by Gordon Strong. Available right now from BrewersPublications.com and find brewing retailers near you. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones know beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious. Cicerone are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. Nope. Uh, still no? But I didn't try these. Hold on. Oh, I thought we were trying. Yeah, try the other headset. This is no good, man. Check one. Oh, yeah. Yeah? That's way All up. right. Yeah. I sound great. Now, see if you can <laughs> give yourself a... Bl- Never mind. As long as you can hear yourself in, in your own head. That's what's important. That is important. I like talking to myself. And I like talking to you guys. Welcome back. Hello. It's the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Hello. We're going to have a great show tonight. We have James How- Howitt. Yeah. And uh, he's on the line with us right now. James, are you there? I'm here. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Doing great. Uh, Where are you uh, calling us from today? I'm in uh, Beijing, China right now. How do you say good morning in Chinese? I have no idea. (laughs) Ni hao. What are you you doing? Ni hao? 
Is that uh, anyhow? I yeah. think yeah, something like that. Nailed Boom. it. <laughs> what are you doing out there? I'm just here on vacation with my dad. Awesome. What do you guys have planned? Uh, not a whole lot. We're going to go see the Great Wall and uh, uh, Forbidden City. We're going to go to Shanghai in a few days. We'll be home next week. You know what I love, James, is that you came on the show. Like, you know how many people I, I can't think of. Um, a guess where they would actually cut, like they would use this as a reason that they couldn't come on. Like, hey, how about this date? Oh, yeah. They'd be like, listen, I'm going to be in China. And as if anybody would question that, they'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, let's pick a new date. But you were like, <laughs> no, I will make a way for it to make it happen. And you know what? You can make it happen from anywhere you are. Being out of the country or out of the whatever <laughs> is not an excuse any longer. You can just do anything from anywhere. There you go. You can get Skype on your phone. So thanks for doing that, man. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it worked out pretty well because it's actually. It's actually tomorrow, so hello from the future. Uh, uh, yeah, hey, what's the Powerball number? I'm sitting here at 9.30 in the morning tomorrow. Powerball's uh, at like 1.5 billion, right? Hey, hook, hook what some is brothers the Powerball number? Here. Unfortunately, the internet's so limited here, I can't go on Facebook to see who <laughs> won. So. Damn it. China's bureaucracy is costing us hard dollars. Yeah, yeah. we're counting on you. A billion dollars rides on it. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your vacation. And uh, we're really excited to have you because you're making some amazing beers uh, at your place at uh, Black Project and also Former Future. Um, Ooh, I just took a sip of one. Yeah, yeah. we opened up uh, Dreamland Number 1. Can you uh, tell, okay. tell us a little bit about this one? Beauty. So it's our first uh, golden sour um, base beer, basically. Um, Dreamland's done in a Solera, so we took two spontaneously fermented barrels. Um, when they were mature, we put both of those in a larger tank and then uh, topped it up with wort, and then we just empty about 25% out at a time. So this was the first the first pull, basically, on that Solera, uh, and then batch two is coming out probably in the next month or so. Yeah, I saw that on your website. You guys are coming out with a new batch of this one. Um, we actually already have a caller who's got a, a question for you. Can we go to that, Scott? Yeah, okay. let's see. Allie. Allie? I do not hear her. Ooh, I wonder if something's up with the, the phone pot. Mm. I don't hear her. <laughs> Bevo's moving fast to work on it. I don't hear her, unfortunately. All right, well, we'll vamp. But, uh, so, yeah, you mentioned this. Is, is she there? Bevo's on the phone with her right now. Yeah, all right. Well, sums up with our board. Sorry. Go ahead, Jay. So back to Dreamland number one. You're, this is uh, – I was reading up on, a little, uh, on it a little bit today. Uh, it's, a, it's a spontaneous to start, and then it goes to a uh, Solera? Sorry. Yeah, so I don't call it spontaneous um, unless it's basically cool ship to barrel to bottle. Okay. Um, so this is all spontaneously caught cultures. We basically just um, took good spontaneous barrels and then grew them up um, sort of to create a house – house culture in that it's a it's a hoover tank which i know other people on the show use we kind of treat it like a stainless steel um fooder and so yeah we fill it up and then empty partially from it at a time very cool and that i yeah. yeah definitely and that uh you mentioned i think on your website that you're adding more to it several times at what you call key stages and I, I, that that piqued my interest right there what do you consider you know, the key stages of when you're adding wort to this, uh, you know, like you said, what starts is a spontaneous barrel and then goes into the, the stainless for the Solera project. For sure. So, I mean, the first part of that is uh, a mature, spontaneous barrel, but not probably wasn't something we would have packaged right away. Um, so, uh, it, you know, if we average on the spontaneous beers 10 to 12 months plus on aging, I would be a little worried about microbiability to step up 
in any relative quickness. Um, so I think it was about six months old, but it tasted really good. Um, so that's kind of the first sort of key time is, you know, what what microbes are still viable from the original inoculation. Um, and then just kind of tracking the beer. And before we top off, we make sure that it's at a state where it's uh, completed and good to go. At this point now, we're only emptying 25% out, which is one, one brew house turn for us. So we can basically pull out and then immediately add fresh work to replace it, if that makes sense. So, Yeah, definitely. And this, this beer turned out incredible. I, I get like a lot of peach going on, maybe some back. I mean, you, you could tell me that this beer had peaches in it, and I would say, oh, this is like one of the best peach sour beers I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I believe that. It's an yeah, awesome. Yeah, the guy beer. take me to task one time at a at a beer festival and accused me of having peaches in it. <laughs> and I was like, I, I swear to you, there's no fruit in that beer. Liar! I'm allergic yeah. to peaches, man. <laughs> Don't mess with me. <laughs> right. That's awesome. It's an incredible beer. Uh, so what's what's going to be different about the the new batch that you have coming out here shortly? Um, so we actually were just at Vale Big Beers, Belgians and Barley Wines. And we were able to pour um, some of the last bottles of that batch one um, alongside batch two. Oh. Um, so that bottle, that bottle came out about, I guess, like six months ago, um, eight months ago. And it's been in the bottle for 10 months probably. Um, so it was an interesting comparison because some of that's aging and development in the bottle. And some of it is um, just the changes in the culture over time in, in, the, um, in the tote. Um, so I think batch two is a little more, it's right now, I think got a little more funk and a little more aromatic on the nose. It's just in general, kind of, uh, a little bit brighter. Um, but to me, it, it tastes pretty darn similar to how I remember that beer tasting when it went into the bottle. Some of the development happens in the bottle over the time. So it's kind of hard to know what it was like exactly. <laughs> right. And so you mentioned that, uh, you know, some of the development does happen in the bottle. So I know you guys have just been uh, going on the the black project side of things for a few years here. Um, mm -hmm. what, what, what is your bottling process? You know, how do you get, do you get re-fermentation? Are you force carving? And, and what do you feel like that lends to the final product? How does your process influence flavor there? Yeah. So it's, um, it's, we don't do any kind of uh, filtering or pasteurization. It's all re-fermented in the bottle. We are experimenting with maybe doing uh, bottling strain on fruit beers just because some of our other beers take six months plus to fully age and clean up in the bottle um, and I feel like we maybe lose some fruit character through long aging um, but all of our spontaneous beers are 100% wild microbe re-fermented in the bottle um, in some cases that takes six months like I said um, and I think it's pretty cool because you got the same ecology, like I like to call it, of microbes in the bottle that you had in the barrel. And so some flavors that might have volatized off or wouldn't be captured in a barrel just because it's porous um, end up being captured in the bottle um, for good or bad, I guess. But um, ultimately, it ends up being a little bit more complex product. We, we poured a forced carbonated beer at GABF, and uh, I don't think we'll do that again. <laughs> it just wasn't, to me, it wasn't as good as uh, bottle re-fermented. Gotcha. I think uh, maybe we got Allie back on the phone. Let's uh, try that out. All right, let's say a prayer. Allie? God damn it. <laughs> I thought for sure I'd fix it. All right. Allie, well, Allie beef, must be in China, beef. too. See, see what Allie's question is, because I don't know what's up, with my, what's, what's up with my board here. Sorry, Allie. 
Hold on there, Allie. We'll get to it. But uh, at, it's actually uh, serendipitous because I had another question about your, your bottling. So you mentioned you're either thinking about or you are trying a, a new strain for the fruit beers. That's that's intriguing to me because uh, I, I like your logic there where, you know, you're going through this long uh, bottle conditioning process uh, with your wild microbes. So you kind of want to get get the the flavor you're getting out of your fruit sour beer you know conditioned in the bottle faster what are you considering for your for your new strain um it's a cbc5 it's a dry yeast product um from i think lalaman makes it and it's uh supposed to be for bottle bottle conditioning and cast conditioning gotcha and have you guys used that yet or you're still yeah so we actually we actually use that in the other bottle i think that you have oh great the mock lemon which is a fruit beer yeah yep Awesome. Well, we'll try that. Uh, try that next. That's I'm I'm excited for that. Um, I want to take a quick step back here and just kind of give a little bit of background and then ask you about uh, some of the stuff you've been up to. You uh, you did win some some awards recently. Uh, a bronze, I believe, for Flyby, and another bronze for for Ramjet. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Flyby was in 2014. That was actually the first Black Project uh, release. Um, Off to a good start. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, 2015 Ramjet won. Ramjet was a uh, both those beers are 100% spontaneous, um, which again just means in our vernacular that it went from the cool ship into the barrel into the bottle, and then yeah, Ramjet was like a dark cherry sour spontaneous ale. Nice, and you've also uh, did you uh, go do a presentation at NHC? Yeah, at NHC I did a presentation about like homebrew cool ship spontaneous ale. It was a lot of fun. And for for the home brewer, what do you you know what do you recommend as uh, you know first steps or or bit, just big takeaways maybe things to uh, to look out for when you're you're a home brewer and you're considering making a uh, spontaneous beer. I mean the thing the thing that I've always I think my talk was mostly about and the thing that I harp on the most on like milk the funk on Facebook is uh, trying you know quite a few commercial breweries can make spontaneous ale successfully um and obviously part of that is they're doing a lot more batches potentially and what gets thrown down the drain isn't what you hear about Uh, but for the home brewer i think trying to emulate what the commercial brewery does um not just in appearance physical appearance but more in the kind of logical scientific side of cooling rate and inoculation surface area is important to me and i think that's if you're having trouble that's a good place to start um, so, for example, I see a lot of home brewers, and they've got hotel pans, and they've got various <laughs> shallow, teeny, teeny, it looks like a tiny, you know, Cantillon cool ship, uh, but it holds, you know, five gallons of wort. Um, and then they go, oh, well, it cools in, it cools in an hour and a half. And, well, they take 12 or 16 hours. Um, and this, to me, there's a lot of difference in cooling rate. And so... Um, that's my my number one tip. Uh, surface area to volume isn't linear in relationship. So, all right. Well, let's get to uh, Allie's question because she asked right. it to uh, Bevo, uh, and she was calling from Colorado Springs. Uh, she yeah. she had asked, uh, "What are some of the?" She asked, "What the some of the biggest challenges?" Let's say, "What's the biggest challenge uh, with open fermentation in a barrel?" Uh, suggestions for a home brewer. Uh, so we do open referm. First of all, hi Ellie, um, <laughs> and secondly, um, so yeah, so we do like the mock limit was open refermented um, in a in a sherry cask. So we took the mature wort and then added all the tempered neomust um, to the open sherry cask, 
we weren't sure how much how vigorous re-fermentation would be, so we thought open fermentation would be neat. I think for a home brewer, let's see. I mean, open fermentation in a barrel for a home brewer. It'd be quite I mean, a lot of me, beer. To me, the big thing is about, like, surface area of the barrel. I always tell home brewers, you know, don't make sour beer in small barrels um, just because it can end up being an acetic bomb um, because your surface area to volume is so huge and oxygen ingress is so great in a small barrel, which I know you guys have probably talked about before. As far as, like, cool shipping, I think cooling rate is a big challenge. Um, I've talked to many people who switched over. My recommendation in a cool ship for home brewing was use your kettle. Uh, the surface area to volume is actually better, uh, more surface area to volume than a traditional Belgian cool ship. But you're still probably going to cool too fast. And so people are reporting to me good success after that NHC talk by insulating their kettle, getting some of that foily, uh, I don't know what it's called, but it looks like foil-covered foam insulation, and kind of wrapping that around their kettle after they turn the burner. Uh-oh, did we lose him? We may have lost him. The Chinese got him. Oh, no. I like what he was saying, though. You know, it's obvious that uh, the surface of the beer, uh, the volume in the beer to surface ratio is really important to James, and I think that's an excellent point. The point about the kettle uh, being the way to do... um, the cool ship. I mean, people think of cool ships, and I think, you know, even if you look it up in the definition, it says, you know, kind of a shallow, wide uh, uh, vessel, and it's because it's such a large volume to cool. So I, th- this is, to me, kind of a revelation. I think this is a great point. It's one of those uh, times on the show where something really piques my interest, and it's like, oh, yeah, I don't know why I didn't think of that, or this is this seems like a really good tactic that we need to spread to a lot of homebrewers, and that's uh, what James is recommending, which is the, you know, doing the cool ship in the kettle with some insulation. It's a lot closer to the cooling rate than uh, than if you're making kind of a, like you said, the hotel pan or whatever you're going to do, the shallow uh, the shallow pool for a cool ship. It doesn't really work out as well. So that's a really interesting point. Can we define um, exactly what open fermentation in a barrel means for a homebrewer? The barrel looks like what? They're going to have to pop one of the heads off. So the the staves that run kind of, uh, if you think about an oak barrel, usually they're running uh, horizontally. And then the circles on the ends are the heads. So what you'd want to do is pop off one of the heads and then uh, turn it vertically, obviously when it's empty or else it'd be really heavy. And then you, you fill it up with whatever your beer or wort's going to be at that point. And the open fermentation means, you know, it's not in a closed vessel. There's no airlock on it. Traditionally, people will, you know, put some sort of cover on it to, you know, discourage fruit flies and stuff like that from going in. Um, but some other people just go, you know, 100% open fermentation. Uh, so that's that's where the distinction is there. And I think one thing that uh, James was pondering was... Uh, how that would translate on the homebrew scale and you know maybe his idea about the cool ship also translates to the open fermentation maybe use your boil kettle as the vessel to do open fermentation i'm not sure how long it's going to have to stay in there um i think he was actually talking about a fruit re-fermentation which again is a little different than a primary uh open fermentation it is. It, it could be vigorous, but you know there are there are factors at play there. Uh, like he was saying, the the exposure to oxygen. So, I'd, I'd be curious if someone tried out, uh, you know, the, not only the cool ship in the kettle, but maybe the the open refermentation in the kettle because it's nice. It's a stainless, uh, presumably a stainless uh, vessel that you don't 
usually think of for fermentation. But, you know, you boil stuff in it all the time. It's yeah. easy to clean with uh, traditional brewing chemicals. So should be good to go. For sure. And, uh, Ali, let us know if uh, how, how the beer comes out. You know, if you experiment with the uh, open fermentation uh, with the barrels, let us know. And if, it, if, it's, if it's good... We'd love to try your beer. Send, send us an email, sourhour at thebrewingnetwork.com. There you go. I think what we should do is uh, effort, getting James back. That's an industry term. And uh, while we're doing that, why don't we take a quick break? Yes. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. If you don't know Yeast Man, you're missing out. White Labs Yeast Manager, Yeast Man, is available free to any brewer. Yeast Man is your direct link to White Lab's yeast production facility. Yes, you can check yeast availability, and yes, you can place an order, but Yeast Man is much more. View yeast quality control and analytical reports. See your big QC day entries and reports. Get access to the entire White Lab's catalog, specials on overruns of freshly made yeast, and customized options for your account. Yeast Man is the only real-time online ordering in the business connected directly to factory production. Yeast Man is always on and always live. It's the largest online marketplace for specialty brewers yeast and related products. Visit yeastman.com today and tap directly into White Lab's production facility. Gonna brew? Yeast Man to the rescue. Oh, wait, I have the wrong hand. <laughs> oh, can't hear it. Hold on a second. <laughs> Habit. Oh, and I almost spilled my beer repeating the mistakes of last night. I think we uh, have uh, James back. You there, James? Yes. Oh, I good. Think so. All right. All right. Welcome back. I'm back too. Thanks. I'll get my good headphones on. We've uh, evaded the Chinese for now. <laughs> yeah, the Great Firewall. <laughs> they don't like your stance on cool ships, so they decided to Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Pull the plug. But, yeah, we were actually getting into a real interesting area. I wanted to give you the chance to uh, revisit it just in case uh, we lost you before you are able to uh, kind of run down your, your full point or, or maybe you had. But I really like what you're saying about the cool ship and the kettle with some insulation being a – you're kind of comparing – the cooling rates and it's a little a little closer to what you want yeah and i mean i don't necessarily know what is ideal but i know that it works in belgium and it works in commercial breweries in the u.s and so to me if you're going to do it at home i would start by emulating what they do uh as far as cooling rate to me that makes sense I think that's a good good starting spot for anyone. Everyone's got to adjust to their own system. Let's let's maybe get into your on the professional scale. Describe your cooling, you know, cool ship rundown, times, temperature, speed of cooling. You know, you got the the seasonality element. You know, summer versus winter, and and all that stuff. Let's dive into your uh, your process there a little bit. For sure. So we actually, uh, you know, that idea of cooling rate and emulating the Belgian um, brewers as far as cooling rate, we do that. We have a small uh, brew house. We can do about four barrels at a time, uh, 120 gallons basically. And so our cool ship is actually two huge um, stock pots. They're kind of kind of shallow for a, for a pot for like a boil kettle, but they're uh, about 60 gallons a piece. Um, so they end up being a little bit deeper. They're maybe uh, 30 inches deep. And so we use that just because if we were to make a 120-gallon cool ship, 
my thought is it would cool in just maybe five or six hours and not 12 hours. Um, so that's kind of where I started to formulate that hypothesis about cooling rate. And when it comes to cooling rate, to me, that's about the resident time of the wort and the, the inoculants that have fallen in there and how long are they held at that sort of 120 to 80 degree time period just because, as you know, that's a really great time for um, bacteria, especially to, to multiply. Um, and if you cool too fast, then you're down at room temperature where they don't, they don't do as well necessarily. Um, and when we're talking about a cool ship beer, the so-called pitching rate is absolutely minuscule compared to what you would do if you're pitching a lab cultures um, in it. So how did you get to that point there? You know, Scott and I were actually talking during the break, and, you know, I, I was remarking how, how I like your idea when it comes to rethinking the cool ship on a small scale with the different uh, dimension, and so you match it cl- more closely to the cooling rate. How did you get to that idea? Did you go through a lot of these hotel pan experiments? You know, how did you get from what I see online, which is people doing a lot of shallow uh, homebrew scale inoculations of spontaneous beer to this idea of kind of getting these two stock pots? Yeah, I mean, we... When I was starting with it at home, I was doing small-scale glassware kind of stuff, um, mostly at that time just to isolate wild yeast from the environment. I wasn't really doing 100% spontaneous, but it became clear to me that what people were doing with shallow homebrew stuff, um, the, the surface area they had to inoculate per gallon of wort, whatever you want to call it, was massive uh, compared to a a Belgian brewery or American, you know, 15, 30-barrel cool ship kind of thing, um, an order of magnitude different. And the same was true of cooling rates. And and so I'm not sure there would be any detriment to having a higher surface area uh, and getting more airborne microbes. I'm not sure that would be a detriment, but it might be um, because a lot of what we're collecting in the air is enteric bacteria. And so when you make spontaneous ale, the first week to maybe month is dominated in cell number by enteric bacteria and it's kind of a sick gross phase a lot of uh compounds that aren't great are created then later my thought is that Britannomyces converts those into things into compounds through esterification it normally wouldn't have access to so uh, a lot of people are familiar with i know lauren salazar talks a lot about butyric acid and brett converting butyric acid which is kind of vomity into uh, ethyl butyrate, which is sort of pineapple-y. And so my thought is, during that initial phase, there's a lot of those compounds created, then Brett can convert them. Um, it may not be great to get too much surface area because you may get too much of those enteric bacteria to the point where Brett can't convert the amount that is made. That's a thought I have. And honestly, I mean, I'm doing a lot of research and development at this point. We're doing, on a barrel-to-barrel level, many different things with adjusting pH and aged hops, no hops, you know, fresh hops, uh, American hops, uh, a bunch of different things in that regard, sort of to create my blending stock for the next year's spontaneous beers. Um, so, yeah, so it's an ongoing thing for sure. W- would the Brett eventually be able to overcome it given time or would it just be too overwhelmed? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, honestly, um, and I don't know that anybody would. Um, I think that there's definitely a point where – Brett cannot esterify a certain amount. I mean, if you, I've had some beers that are extremely butyric, and I don't think pitching Brett will clear that up 
given any amount of time, right? If there's no more fermentable left, then at a certain point, Brett is eventually going to fall dormant and nothing really is happening. And you can still have those organic acids around uh, stinking the whole thing up. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll second that. You, you re- we really don't know. I think in a, the way to think about it is, you know, we're what James is doing, what we're talking about with people on this show, there's the expression, you know, at, we're out on a limb. Yeah. The sour brewers turn around and they can't even see the limb anymore. It's that far away. We are way, way out there. And, you know, he's talking about being in the research and development phase. And we all are. And we're finding it out live, which is what makes this time for sour beer so exciting, but also critical. And, you know, I think that's what excites me about doing the show and talking to people like James is that we're putting out there what we're doing and the community is responding and saying, well, you know, I'm doing it like this and I get these results. We can go taste those results. And then it's like, oh, wait, that's that's better. I'm going to start doing that. We're kind of group thinking all of this. And then if I could just make a comparison to this, you know, what happens if you create too much uh, enteric bacteria? Chad Jacobson from Crooked Dave, it was either on, I don't, I don't know if you mentioned it again on his episode of the Sour Hour, but certainly on the session that he was on, he mentioned uh, one of his first beers was uh, Petite Guava. I think that was it. And uh, it was a sour beer that he was trying to strongly encourage the production of butyric acid to turn it into just crazy amounts of ethyl butyrate, which is this like tropical pineapple aroma in sour beer, if you're lucky enough to get there. And I think what happened with that beer was that uh, he had created so much butyric acid that it took a long time for the yeast to be able to clean it up. I mean, luckily it did over time, but it was much longer than I think he had anticipated. And he kind of learned from that experience and then adjusted going forward. And now, you know, if you have a Crooked State beer with a nice amount of uh, pineapple aroma in it, that's that's the the reward that he got from going way out past the limb on that one. And that's, I think, maybe... Uh, what a lot of brewers can do at home and professionally. But I think what James is trying to avoid is getting way too far out there and kind of anchoring it with something that already exists, which is the cooling rate and the the surface contact that Belgian brewers use. Yeah, totally. And I do, I do, I love that about um, sour beer and science in general, which is whatever is the fact now or the best practice now, it's just, until the next best one is discovered, until something mm-hmm. even better is discovered, right? So, like, yeah. everything we know about uh, dinosaur bones is just our best guess for now, and then eventually someone will have a better guess down the road, and we'll, we'll use that. Exactly. They're all from 2,000 yeah, years ago. <laughs> all right. Uh, we have some questions, I think, for James. Yeah. I've got a lot of questions for you, James. Yeah. Uh, oh, this boy. is um, Nick uh, Mensch, I, I think. Uh, Nick is writing Bless from you. Inoculum Aleworks. <laughs> He, uh, which is Florida's first 100% sour production brewery. Wow! All right, and uh, possibly the the um, Bevo, please the uh, the <laughs> the second in the United States behind the rare. Bre- Are there any others? Uh, 100% sour breweries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't keep too much. I like to listen out for people who are making a lot of sour beer. But not to stomp, not to bring the show to a screeching halt, but, you know, some breweries make Brett beers and sour beers, and that's all they do. And some people make, you know, Saison's and Brett beers and sour beers. But they make, let's say, 80% of their beer is sour, and it's like, you know, at at a certain point. Like a certain point. Kind of a thing? Yeah, at a certain point, it's just like, you know, 
there's breweries that really focus their production on sour beer, and those are the ones that I love the most. So, gotcha. Good on you. Well, Nick says they they uh, ship straight to your door from across the country, so they they're sending their their beer to people, I suppose, that are that are not in their area of Florida. Awesome. You, he already did that. I, he says uh, shipping straight to your door, present tense. So I'm guessing they do that. How old is the email? Because I have to get on it's, that. It's or from else. today. Oh, okay. So I still have a chance to not have the employees <laughs> ravage that stuff. Yeah. Yes, you do. <laughs> not long though. All right, I'll get you to keep uh, an eye out. Nick says uh, we're in the process of building out our cool ship. Uh, a couple of cool ship questions for you, James. Uh, first one: Have you noticed any trends or consistencies with the cool ship? Uh, maybe the inoculum and the work collect. Uh, the inoculum the work collects is dependent on variables like time, temperature, season, etc. Um, yeah, I think this past summer I experimented a couple times with doing the cool ship when it was warmer out, and we won't do that. We aim for an overnight low of uh, 20 to maybe 35 degrees Fahrenheit, and I think we do have some consistencies in the progression of the fermentation, and we do definitely get some similar notes, um, that kind of peachy apricot character is present in a lot of our spontaneous fermentations. Um, so whatever that is um, and whatever it's being produced by is something that's is collected more than once on more than one occasion. But interestingly, not every occasion. I can't necessarily pin it down to, to overnight temperature or season, like fall versus spring. I don't know if there's any link um, between those things necessarily. All right. Uh, another part of Nick's question is, uh, have you done anything to seed the cool ship room, like spraying wort on the walls or leaving uh, vessels of funk out? No. And interestingly enough, a lot of people talk about how some lambic brewers have, quote unquote, seeded the cool ship room. Our cool ships are on our roof, covered by nothing that more than a nylon mesh. So I like to say there's nothing, there's no wooden beams to be sprayed with anything. It's just the mm-hmm. Sky above the cool ship. What went into that decision? Did you test some things out in the brewery and on top of the brewery, or were you just going that way from the beginning? Well, I I don't have a way to our brewery is mostly the former future tap room, um, so I didn't really have a way to get the overnight outside air temperature in the winter to be the whole inside of the brewery because um, then that means our barrels would go down to 20 degrees and our tap room would be down at 20 degrees uh, and we'd probably be like freezing pipes. <laughs> um, and so we are looking for another facility at some point very oh, soon and we'll do a larger scale cool ship with a cool ship room. Um, but Damn you, China. Damn it. <laughs> hmm. Oh, that's that. it. All right. <laughs> that's how you know. That's the sign yeah. that we should cut and maybe go to... Uh, Show two? Uh, yeah. Are we at that? Is, it that, it, is it that time? Yeah, uh, it seems to make sense. Fine. <laughs> Does not sit well with me. All right, all right, here we go. Oh, there it is. <laughs> all right. Well. You know, that's that's the kind of show that puts some hair on your chest as a as a pod waver. Bevo knows what I'm talking about. Gray hairs. That's a thumbs oh, up. Bevo just did the double point. We are starting and ending the show with a lot of Bevo positivity, and I like it. I'm telling you, she's on this something. This is new Bevo. <laughs> that blue stuff, blue ice. Are we gonna? Yeah, but we'll we'll go right back to classic Bevo for the after this. It'll just be a brief introduction of. Is Bill Cosby pitching new Bevo? Uh oh. Yeah, Bill Cosby. That's not a weird reference. He, you know, he was the pitch man for New Coke when they did New Coke. Is that why? You I know that, it? right? They they used Bill Cosby to roll out New Coke. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. So he'll be the new Bevo uh, spokesman. Did he use Coke? 
to slip his. Never mind. Oh god. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's. I'm transi- going back to the classic, which is Quaaludes. We're going to be going back to James uh, right after this break. One more thing I wanted to mention. All of our questions tonight were brought to you by SourBeerBlog.com, our great sponsor. Yes. Check out their uh, beer reviews, and I especially recommend their fast souring article. It goes into a lot of things that brewers are talking about. We'll see you next time. On the, the sour, sour hour. hour. He screwed it up. You guys should harmonize that next time. <laughs> that was our attempt. The Brewing Network. Our now house character is, is very much like my farts, I'm told.